Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, amen. What a Savior we have that we celebrated last week and we get to uh, continue to worship in this week. Uh, We had a great Easter Sunday last week. Uh, There was a meal beforehand and we enjoyed it. Uh, but with that, I, I told Susanna last week, and I, I said, I got to make sure, and she reminded me when I was done here, and I said, I have to make a public apology. Because last week, I said, at the beginning of the message, I said something to the extent of, isn't it great all the food that the women make? And I have to apologize to guys like Chris and Cody, who made great meals, and uh, they should have been included there. So um, just a funny, because I heard that he was already texting JD uh, saying, why, why did I get left off? So, uh, so anyway, we had a great Easter Sunday, and we can laugh at that, and it was a wonderful day. We celebrated, and it's a joyous day to now come back together because our Savior isn't in the tomb. He is alive, and as the church did and has done for 2,000 years, they continue to gather together and worship the risen Savior. So uh, with that, we are joining together this morning and going and singing and praising and hopefully this morning looking to God's word uh, and trying to say, God, what can we learn from you this morning as we engage with your text? And this morning we're going to engage with a a new uh, book, a new series looking at the book of Isaiah. And so if you'll start to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1, I'd love to have you join me there. Uh, this morning. If you're, you're grabbing a pew Bible that's in front of you, uh, you can look on page 481 uh, at the uh, pew Bible there, and that is where we're going to find Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, this morning, uh, this series is called The Holy God Who Saves, and I think that that's the big idea of Isaiah as we look at, his, at Isaiah the prophet's message about to God's people, a word from the Lord. The idea is that there is a holy God, a righteous God, a good God, and he's the one that saves. That him being holy is that there's a reverence that should be held with him, but yet he's also the God who comes and saves and rescues. And we'll look at that over the course of the next uh, few months uh, as we look through Isaiah. This particular message title is an intro to the prophet's book, an intro to uh, Isaiah's message to his people. And so we're going to just look at really the first chapter this morning as an introductory message to the series. And uh, so I want to read some text from there in just a bit. But before I do, let me just thank God for his word and pray and just rejoice that he's given us this word through Isaiah written down in the scriptures preserved for us today. So let's uh, go before us and pray. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, you have spoken to your people. You spoke to Isaiah to speak to his people then. You used your word to speak to your people today. To speak not just of what you did years and years ago, Israel, or what you just did with Jesus on the cross, uh, but also what you're still working and doing 
this world today and how you want us to walk with you. Father, may I do justice to your word this morning. May may what you want to be spoken this morning come uh, to these people. Holy Spirit, may you work on each of our hearts where we're at today and help me to hear. As we prep ourselves for eternity through this book. I ask, Lord, that as we come in here with... Uh, different weeks, joys and frustrations, family things, work things, life. Lord, may you settle our hearts and remind us again of who you are, that you are a God who is great and who saves. Father, I ask that these will be truths of your word. You walk with us and through this text. It's in your name, Jesus, that we can pray these things, knowing that you're speaking to the Look with me now at uh, Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And I want to just start off with reading the first nine verses, and then we'll read some more of the chapter as we go through this morning. Isaiah's book starts off this way. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole hand is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate. It is overthrown by foreigners. The daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Isaiah's book starts off in kind of a dark way. It doesn't start off all bright and cheery, uh, but I promise you that there's some good things coming as we read this passage. You can be looking at this and saying, what is he getting at as he starts into this passage? Uh, First, it's helpful as we begin any new study, any new book, uh, to maybe acquaint ourselves with a couple things. Uh, over the next few months, through the spring and the summer, we're going to look at this book. It's a, it's a rather uh, big book as far as text is concerned. Uh, um, but we can ask ourselves first, why is it important for us today, looking back at a book that's 2,700 years old, what significance does this book have for us? Why, why would we even open up this, something this old? And I would say, first off, no other reason. It's in the scriptures. 
It's God's word. We, we trust that God used it, that he spoke through Isaiah with it. And so it's, it's worth our listening to what God would have for us, what he spoke to them and how that might make sense for us today. Uh, it also is significant because Isaiah is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. Other than Psalms, it's the most quoted book through the New Testament writers, uh, all the gospel writers, and then also Paul. They use this book to point to something, ultimately to point to Jesus, who we celebrated at Easter last week. And we'll look at some of those passages and point them out when they come up and, and try to find out and learn how was Isaiah speaking to something that was far ahead of them. It's a long book, like I said, it's 66 chapters, and we could separate it out into three chunks. Uh, first chunk it happens during the time when the people are, are still in their land before they're removed from, from their land to go into exile. Uh, they're still in their homeland, but they aren't seeking the Lord. The middle section is when they've been pulled out and they're going off into exile. And then the third part is after they're returning. But yet, Isaiah is prophesying forward in them, and he's speaking forward to those things. Isaiah lived during that first time, before they were removed from the land, before they were taken out and stripped from, their, from the promised land, from, from Israel, from the land they lived in, before they were removed from their homes, Isaiah is speaking these things to them. Another aspect for us to think about, and I want to uh, bring this out right away from the first message, is that Isaiah is pretty unique as being a, a prophetic book because not only does it speak in three time periods, but I also think it, it speaks towards three different uh, time periods, you could say, uh, in, in the way that God has revealed things. The first era that it's speaking to and, and that Isaiah is speaking for the Lord to is the people that he's writing to, to Israel, right there in his time. Some of the things in this book are going to be immediately applicable to Isaiah's people, to Israel in that day. The second time period that he's speaking to is, is in the cross. That, that there's some things that he's going to say in here which ultimately point towards Jesus and what he would do uh, when he would come and give his life and rise again as we, set, as we uh, looked at over the last weekend for Easter. Things like the suffering servant who goes and, and, and lays his life down, who goes to save. Those things point towards the cross, towards Jesus' first coming. And then there's also going to be things that are, Isaiah is speaking to towards the end, towards Jesus' second coming. There's things in there that are prophetic pointing forward. And, and so uh, in those three things, we're going to have to, part of my job is to kind of pull out and figure out what is he speaking to. The challenge, though, is, is that some of these things might actually point towards multiple times of the, that period. That's significant for us, and just to be clear why I bring this up, is I want us to be good Bible readers, because as we're looking at this book, as we're thinking about Isaiah, some of us will have a tendency to just apply what Isaiah is saying just to the people immediately in front of him, just to the historical people that are there. Some of us may have the tendency to apply it just to what Jesus did. And some of us, and, and this uh, is probably more common, is we look at this text and we want to say, we read it from its, like from our time period, and that it's all stuff yet to come. And so we have to balance what we're looking at here and kind of get familiarized with the territory 
as we go through, that Isaiah is talking to, uh, through God, God is speaking through multiple time periods, and, and we've got to be slow and just consider all those options. So Isaiah chapter 1, I read the first nine verses, and then we'll read a few more verses as we go through this message. Isaiah chapter 1 really becomes a summary of the whole book. And even more, Isaiah 1 through 5, those first five chapters of the book, become a summary again of the whole book, of the whole 66. These first introductory chapters kind of become the introduction of what Isaiah is going to speak on, and they kind of sum up a lot of the theological topics. That's important because as we look at chapter 1, we're going to ever increasingly see this story expanded upon as God reveals what's going on. And in chapter 6, what we'll look at next week is when Isaiah gets called by God, and he's going to go and start to be the messenger for God, starting with chapter 6. So we look at verse 1. Look at there and with me at verse 1. It says, a, a vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. We start off with this morning where it says a vision, and, and this is a vision or a revelation from the Lord. It's something that Isaiah saw or he became acquainted with, which is important for us to just stop and think about this book and think about not just that this is this is something pretty miraculous, that this is, this is a good word for the people. But just think for a moment that, that the God who created, the God who, who, who we see and we can worship and reveals himself through a beautiful sunrise or through a beautiful uh, fresh blanket of snow or when we see storm clouds in the horizon and we, we see that power and that might that God created that, that same God that reveals himself through those things also goes a step further and reveals himself through his actual word. He actually shows up and reveals truth to his people. He, he speaks to his people. He's, he's engaged with his people as he wants to speak to Israel here in this situation. It's important for us to be reminded of that God is speaking even now. He didn't just create the universe and then kind of walk away and leave us to our own selves. He's continuing to walk and reveal. And this time, it's in the form of a vision. It, it says this book is from Isaiah. It's a vision that Isaiah got. And, and Isaiah is, is speaking toward to the people for God. He becomes the mouthpiece, the microphone, the messenger for God in this book. And we know Isaiah's title to be prophet. He's a prophet. Now that's important. We're going to look a little bit more at Isaiah next week. Uh, but for this week, I want us to think about the word prophet for a minute. If you're taking notes or, or taking down just thoughts, uh, mental notes even, of, of what a prophet is, oftentimes we think of prophet as what? Someone who tells the future, right? That that's the job of a prophet, to tell the future. But I think what often is the case, and we need to remind ourselves, is that is actually probably of the lesser job of the prophet. That's kind of the secondary job that, that some of the things that he's telling will be prophetic of the future, but the primary job of a prophet is not just to tell the future, but to tell God's people what God has to say. And oftentimes, 
as is the case for Isaiah, he's being a truth teller. He's being one that proclaims truth about God and about his people much more than he's proclaiming what's going to happen in the future. He's proclaiming truth and calling the people to turn back to God and repent and go back before God rather than just saying, oh, hey, here's what's happened in advance. He's saying, no, do you know who our God is? Turn back to him. He wants to be a truth teller to tell the situation and, and explain what is we might see in the physical and explain the theological and what God sees and how he sees it with his people. So we need to know that about a prophet, that he's not just a fortune teller. He's a truth teller. He's a truth proclaimer. And also from this verse, we see four kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And those kings we're going to see kind of throughout this book. They are four kings that reign uh, about 700 years before Christ. Uh, there's within those four guys, there's some good things and there's some bad things. And we're going to explore those as we go through. Uh, but their story, these kings are the ones that lead up to when the people of Israel are pulled out of their land and taken into exile in Babylon. And some of that is going to be directly correlated with these kings' actions. So this morning we have a vision of Isaiah, at the starting out, at getting out of the blocks. And what do we read in verses 2 through 9? We read that this is not a good situation for the people. 2 through 9, we read and see that there's a rebellious status of God's people. A rebellious status. Uh, we're reminded again of who these people are. God's people, Israel, in their land, is a people that was what? They were brought out of Egypt. They were brought out of their slavery. They were brought out of their bondage. They were brought through a land led by Moses, then led by Joshua. Then they were given kings, including David and Solomon, who have led them to this land where they have built this nation. It's a small nation compared to some of the others, but it's a nation, and they have, and they have peace, and they have good leadership, and the leaders are pointing them towards God, and they, they, they're, they're enjoying the promised land, but then kings start to walk away and start to turn away from God. And that's where we find ourselves as we get into this book, is that the kings have led the people astray. They're worshiping other things. They're going through the motions. And it's really a rebellious children that we see here. God even says that. Look at verse 2. Hear, hear O heavens, O give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. The Lord says this, Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not, know, does not know. My people do not understand. Right out of the gates, what God is saying to his people is, you guys, I, I brought you out of Egypt. I, I've given you so much. I've blessed you. I, I've made you my own. I, I've redeemed you and brought you out with a price. And yet you've walked away from me. Your children who have rebelled and walked off, he even goes into these comments about a donkey and an ox that he says, even the donkey and the ox know who they belong to. They know who their owner is. And yet you guys are so foolish. And in a way, God is saying, Israel, how can you be so dumb? You don't know. You don't recognize. You've walked away from me. You've forgotten who I am. And in the context, what we're going to see through this book is there's this ever 
growing presence of other nations that are going to possibly come in and, and wipe out Israel. Uh, but the, the, the important thing to note there is not that Israel has an issue with the other nations that are out there. Their, their focus is there, but they shouldn't be worried about there. The bigger problem for Israel here is that they have a heart problem. The biggest issue for Israel is the fact that they've turned and walked away from God. They should know the rules that say, from the, from the Mosaic law, that say, if you follow me, if you, if you look after, go after me, if you worship me, I will bring you promise. I will bring you blessing. I will make sure I take care of you. And yet they've walked away from Him. They've rebelled. In many ways, and one commenter commented, commentator noted this, he, he says that they've lost their sense of sin. That they've lost their sense. Some of you have had, most of us I'm sure, have had a cold before where we can't smell things, where we have something's blocking our way, where we just we can't enjoy the, the, the fresh sense or whatever. And in a way, sin has gotten in the way where they can't understand how far they are from God. They can't understand just who they are and what they have become. They're sick. They forgot that there are people that need a God who loves them. They need to depend on Him and turn to Him. They've lost that as they've wandered away. And that's what he says in verses 4 and moving on. He says, sinful nation, you're, you're laden with iniquity. You've forsaken the Lord. You're estranged from Him. And then he goes in and says, why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? You're totally sick from your toes to your head. You're sick and you won't heal it with what will heal, which is ultimately God. They forgot. And the big question that we're going to have in, in Isaiah for this rebellious people, this people that God is speaking through Isaiah to, God is speaking to them. The big question is in this book is, will they turn back? Will they turn back to God? Will God uh, show them grace and mercy? Uh, will he, or will He execute His judgment before them? And if He does execute judgment, what will happen to them? How is this going to play out? This rebellious group of children, they're sick. I ask us and, and think about our, our own selves for a moment as we think about our rebel, the rebellious status of God's people in this book, uh, we should be reminded again that our story, like Israel, only greater, has been one that if we are in Christ, if, if the message of Easter and, and what we just celebrated last week has redeemed us, we need to be reminded that like Egypt, who's been brought out of slavery, been brought out of our bondage, been brought into something great, a relationship with God, that we, like Israel... Can, can take from this book uh, that just like them, we can so easily forget our sense of our sin, of our brokenness, of our dependency on God. We can forget in, by saying, oh yeah, Jesus forgave me of all my sin, and, and we can forget that idea, and it's true that we can sometimes just kind of wander off and do our own thing, and we can have all sorts of brokenness and sin and rebellion against God going on in our life that we 
distance ourselves and we forget, like they have, just who our God is and what He's done. Some of us may be in that place where there are things in our life that have gone unchecked. There are sins in our life where we are in rebellion against God's ways. And while, yes, God's love and mercy covers over it, what we sense is, is that God is far off for what it is is we have wandered off. We've lost our sense of sin. And so this morning, as we see this people who are rebellious, who's wandering, we can maybe ask ourselves, where am I? What is an area in my life where that might apply to me? I don't know who my father is. I don't know who my master is. I'm foolish. The ox and the donkey is wiser than me because it turns and goes back and knows who it's dependent on. From there, that question or that status of rebellion that these people are in, the text goes on to verses 20 or 10 through 20. And I just want to read a few of those verses. It goes on to say this, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He just related them to Sodom, and now he's calling them rulers of Sodom. Uh, Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is a multitude of your what to me is a multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have enough had enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn, and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast, my soul hates. That's God speaking again. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you may make many prayers. Will not listen, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here in verses 10 through 20, we see a a religious people with empty hearts. We see a religious people who are going through the motions. They're going and coming to church. They're joining in the assembly of of the people of God. They're singing songs. They're giving sacrifices. They're giving, putting money in the offering plate, we could say. They're making prayers, many of them. And yet it says that God doesn't enjoy it. They have empty hearts. They aren't thinking rightly about this worship. They're going through the motions without actually engaging with the gospel. 
for Israel, that gospel, again, is the fact of who God was that brought them out of Egypt, that has given them so much that all the blessings they have and the freedoms that they have from where they were as slaves is accredited to God. They've forgotten who is the one that blesses them. And they continue to worship, and they continue to try to do things, but it's all empty and it's all in vain. In this section, as you read through it and you think about it, we can, we can start to ask ourselves, what are the things that I am doing that are just part of the motions? Am I like Israel that shows up on Sunday, that goes and tries to do a quiet time in my week, that tries to offer a prayer, but it's not engaging in gospel truth, a reminder of what God has already done? Do I just do because I think I'm going to get more love from God? Do I just give a sacrifice and offering because I'm going to get blessing from God and apart from thinking on His gospel work? Am I going through the motions? For God's people in Israel, that was their crime. That was the thing that they had, had, had missed. They were supposed to be a bright, shining light to the world of a God who loves so much. That, that brought them out of their slavery and brought them into this place. And they were supposed to be a beacon of hope for all the rest of the world to look at. But they missed it. They missed it, and they were, they were worried about themselves rather than proclaiming who this God was and what He did in Israel. God offers them that grace in verses 18 to 20. He says, come, let us reason. Let us, let us work this out. Turn from me and your sins that are, are scarlet. The stains on your hand will be washed away. says in 20, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And here we start to get the glimpses of, if you don't turn back to me, I am going to bring in other nations. I'm going to bring in other people. We can ask, why would he do that? Why would he bring in other nations to kind of uh, wipe them out or to remove them from their homeland? And the reason is because he wants to restore them. He wants to bring them back. He wants to He's saying, if I can't, if you won't turn on your own, I'm going to bring a mighty act to try to make your religion, your worship right again. Which leads us to from where he, we see that their status is lost. They've forgotten God. They've rebelled. That rebellion, that sin has now tainted their worship, and it's made their worship uh, uh, something uh, that's empty and hollow. And then we move on to verses 21 through 23, where we look at a watered-down hope. A watered-down hope. Look at 21. How the faithful city, Jerusalem that is, or in Judah, has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become like dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels, your companions and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bride and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. What is Isaiah saying here through God? 
He's suggesting that they're, they have watered down the hope that they have, the hope that they're supposed to be proclaiming. Uh, the gospel message that Israel uh, uh, stewarded, the fact that God had brought them out and was loving and caring for them, that they, they were supposed to be championing who God was, the true living God, Yahweh, and yet they weren't. And because of their sin habits, now it's turned to the point where they are not a shining light, but they've watered down the good thing they have. It says that they've, their silver, their, their beauty, this, this fine metal ha- has become dross. It's, it has other imperfections. It has other alloys in it. And, and so it's been cheapened. It's not of value. In the same way, your best wine has been mixed with water. It's watered down. And you've cheapened the goodness of what God has brought to this people. This gospel hope that for Israel, what they were supposed to be was to champion who God was so others in the world, other nations could look to them and find hope and find comfort that there is a God who loves, that it's not all those gods that the other, other nations worship, but that there was a true God here. They were supposed to be championing that. But because they had become rebellious, because their hearts were empty in their worship, because they had become internally focused, now suddenly we have... A group, a nation that is dim. They're watered down. Hope isn't being proclaimed through this people. I wonder about us. Again, if we follow the line of thought of what's going on here, is if there is sin in our lives, rebellion against God's way, if there are things in our lives that, that end up in our worship, uh, leaving us and distancing us from God, where our worship becomes empty, our worship becomes hollow, where we're not focusing on the gospel, uh, then it is no wonder that the church is not being the hope of the nations. It's no wonder that here, when we, when we start to fall on that path, and, and some of you may not, this might not apply, but I think many of us should at least take note and say, maybe, maybe there's something in me that in, even in our community that when the outside world, those people who are not coming to church, when they look at the churches, they probably know us not for the hope that we offer, but they know more about what we're against. The, the, the arguments, the fighting, the brokenness that happens as we are divisive. I wonder if that's true of us. How are ways that we've taken the hope of the gospel and, and added some other things to it, uh, other, other things to the gospel, uh, that suddenly cheapen the gospel down? When you think of that, when you think of how expectations of living a certain way, or uh, of, of acting a certain way, of being a certain moral person, uh, uh, those things can cheapen that hope down water it down, the hope. Chapter 1, it continues on in verses 24 through 31. It says, Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies. I will avenge myself and my foes. I will turn my hand against you. And I will smelt away your dross as with lie. And remove all your alloys. I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselor as the beginning. 
afterwards you shall be called a city of righteousness, a faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those with her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush at the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together, and none to quench them. He's speaking to God's people here. He's speaking of a purified and renewed hope. That he wants to purify them. And the way he's going to do that is by bringing in others to, to take them out of their land, to remind them of who their God is, to bring them out and to purify them. If you read this week in your readings, and I'd encourage you to go read the first five chapters that are listed in the, the weekly readings. Chapter 4 is this beautiful, beautiful passage where God says that after I, I take away, after I judge this city, after I judge this people, what will be left will be beautiful and holy. And we can think, how in the world, as he's destroying everything they see, all that they, they love, how can he say what's left is beautiful, what's left is holy? God's refining act is to take away through hardship, through difficulty, to refine and make things Pure for himself, uh, to make things more true to being able to proclaim the hope that is for man. He says that he's going to do this to his enemies, but how about us? What are the things in our life as we're walking in rebellion, as we're suffering or or, or going through difficulties? Maybe what we need to be asking ourselves is, is there something that I... I'm not walking with the Lord on. Is there something that I'm that my worship is hollow? Is it empty? Have I watered down the gospel message in my difficulty? Is God doing something in my life that He's trying to take note? He's trying to get me aware. He's trying to turn me back and remind me of who He is and my dependency on Him. Is He doing that in our lives? Is He trying to refine us? To purify us? bring us back to the gospel which saved us when we first believed. I think there's a good chance of that in many of our sufferings and many of the things. God trying to wake us up to our dependency on Him. I'm not saying all of our sufferings are that way. That might not be the case at all. But I think we just need to be aware that God, how God works in the refining. This message of Isaiah, though, is unfortunate. In the sense that they don't turn back. That's spoiler alert. They aren't going to turn back. They aren't going to follow God. The kings are going to depend on their own resources, and the people are going to depend on on other nations to help save them. But actually, in the end, that's going to be the thing that pulls them out and gets them out of their land. Will they ever turn back and be refined as God is requesting in chapter 1? That's the beauty of this passage. Uh, Where these people could never, as it says in verse 18, reason with God 
and make their own stained hands clean white as snow. That they, that they could never turn back and follow God as they could. That they could never uh, proclaim or go after and follow God's law and represent Him perfectly. The message of Isaiah is going to be that God will pull them out. He's going to preserve them. And through that, He's going to bring a king, a suffering servant, one who can do these things, one who we just celebrated at Easter time, who we can look to and say, though I can never myself turn back and trust in God's message, I can trust in Christ, the one who was able to fulfill these things, who was able to go and worship God perfectly, who never was rebellious, who always lived out the gospel we turn to Him and we we look to Jesus and we remind ourselves that our hope in all these things that we're reading in Isaiah are founded in Christ the King who came and gave His life for us. And by the end of this book, we're going to see that King seated on His throne, coming again, that King who is majestic and one who's worthy of worship. So this morning, there may be things in our life that we need to take into account. What are the things that I am in rebellion against God? What are the things that I, I, I am allowing to cheapen my worship and distance myself from Him? What are the things that where I have watered down the gospel message that it's Christ alone which saves me as He went to the cross? Where have I watered that down? Where am I cheapening that message for the nations? And where does God want to My hope is is that as we go out from here, as we go out uh, to our lives, as we go out from our world, as we go out to the challenges and the things that we face, that we can remind ourselves of these so that we can return even next week and worship more purely, more truly, uh, with a reminder of what the gospel message is. That we, like next week when we see Isaiah, we can look to God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Challenge is that even this week, that's what we're going to do. As we go out from here, so we can worship the King for Jesus and His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can worship you. We know we don't always do it, and we often don't do it perfectly. We still live in broken fleshly bodies that while our sin is paid for we know that sin has a tendency to well up and pull us away from you. Lord, we remind ourselves of your work, your death, your resurrection that conquered and is victorious over sin that now we can turn back and we remind you of you as we look through to you the gospel. We look and we say, sorry for where we place them. We return to you even in this closing song to worship you, Jesus, the one who is our King. Father, I I pray for these people that we continue to let this this message of how Israel missed it be the thing that reminds us of how we can so often miss the mark, but yet how you keep us. 